Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Nick and Bush coming at you with another uh, divisional preview uh, on deck. We have the AFC East. And initially when we looked at this division, we were like, oh, God, there's like no one good in here. It's fucking no good receivers, like one good running back, terrible division. But uh, we found some gems in here. So this one, I definitely stick around for this one. There's some, there's some definitely some great value, some great sleepers, some great bus candidates, as well as some league winners and some bounce back. So Nick, how are you doing today? Yeah, man, doing good. Uh, just like you said, at first look, I was like, I don't know if we're going to have enough players to kind of stretch over all of the categories. But the more I kind of picked players, I actually feel really strongly about specific positions. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dig in. All right, cool. So we'll hit the intro and then we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, first up, we have our sleepers. And uh, this one, I actually, you mentioned you feel strongly about some years. I feel really strongly about this guy. I'm going to own him a lot. And that's Damian Harris, uh, running back for the New England Patriots. This dude, he was a third rounder in 2019, and he had what was basically like a red shirt season as a rookie. He had like four carries on the season, I believe it was. Um, not many quote-unquote handcuffs have the possibility to outright win the job of the starter. I, I don't think that it's outlandish that Damian Harris just completely wins the job outright over Sony Michelle. I know Sony Michelle was a first-round pick, but he hasn't played like a first-round pick. His knees are like Todd Gurley's times a million at this point. So, um, And in terms of efficiency, Michelle ranked 114th in fantasy points per opportunity at the running back position number 37 in yards created per touch, number 54 in uh, true yards per carry, number 54 in yards per touch. Like, he just wasn't good. He hasn't been good since that playoff run in, in 2018 when they won the Super Bowl. And on top of this, Michelle has a very, very rich injury history, including an ACL tear in high school. He had various knee surgeries and injuries re uh, requiring fluid to be drained from his knees and knee scopes and he just had a foot procedure this May that is causing him actually a couple days ago, they put him on the active PUP. So his season start is potentially in doubt if they put him on the actual uh, pup list, he'll miss the first six weeks of the season. But uh, I'll put his um, sports injury predictor profile on the screen right now. They, they peg him as a 77% chance of injury in 2020, which is obviously quite high. And uh, the chance of injury per game is nearly at 10%. They project him to miss over two games um, on the season. And his durability rating is also quite low as well. Yeah, I'm out on Sony Michelle. In general, Damian Harris, you got to think back, okay? So Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris were on the same team. Josh Jacobs, we can agree that we love him. He's a dominant player. And the whole reason that Josh Jacobs didn't get more touches at Alabama was primarily because of Damian Harris. Uh, Josh Jacobs had a huge call-off playoff performance, if you guys can remember, like going into the championship, and he was dominant, like literally, like that was the whole thing that kind of carried him into the first round, but Damian Harris was the steady, like, like stalwart, basically in Alabama, and yes, last year it was concerning that he didn't really dress often, like it literally was a redshirt year. But I love Damon Harris. He was athletic, super productive. Everything on his resume to me says that he's a good football player. And, uh, yeah, if you wouldn't have picked him as a sleeper, I for sure would have. Uh, I am all the way out on Sony Michelle. I have been. He's, he's not good, I don't think. He's, he can't stay healthy. Uh, he's one-dimensional. So, yeah, that's how I feel about it. About that. Yeah, that's a good point. And Damian Harris definitely, and I didn't think about, I didn't think this coming out of school for Michelle, but Damian Harris definitely brings more uh, receiving upside than Michelle does, uh, especially if anything were to happen to Michelle or if he just outright wins the job. Harris won't be just like re probably removed off the field for James White to come in. It'll probably still happen a decent amount, but 
I do think he'd have more receiving upside than Michelle does, which is basically no receiving upside. So who's your uh, sleeper? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, so this is, a, this is kind of a deep one. It's Denzel Mims, another rookie. Uh, I like Denzel Mims a lot, and I've kind of just liked him more and more as the offseason process has gone on. Definitely an analytics favorite if you kind of go to the numbers, guys, just in general. He was consistently good all through college. His production was great. Then he showed up at the combine, and everyone just kind of was like, he was maybe a third-round pick, fourth-round pick. He got to the combine. He blew it up. He blew up Senior Bowl. He blew up literally everything he could possibly do this whole offseason. All Denzel Mims did was be the alpha. Uh, so he gets drafted in round two, and he goes to a team that is uh, not very exciting. You know, like Sam Darnold, I think, has a ton of potential. But so far, like, he just, he just hasn't shown it, you know. So it's all kind of question games. Even though I really like Sam Darnold, we're going to have to see. But going in the second round to a team that – Perriman, I mean, he's on a new squad too. So we'll see. Like, Perriman could be good. Jamison Crowder is purely in the slot. Denzel Mims, 30.3% of his catches in college were contested. If they're going to have a red zone target, it's for sure, in my opinion, going to be Denzel Mims. Uh, without Robbie Anderson, they're going to need someone to stretch the field, which Mims can do. Uh, I know Perriman can do it as well, but I, I like Mims. He's kind of like that deep, big body, speed, red zone guy. And where he's going, which at 14th round, he's like wide receiver 65. Uh, I think that is huge upside for someone like him. Yeah, and he's definitely the type of guy you want to be taking dart throw shots on because you'll know pretty early on, week one, week two, whether he's playing or not. He's going to be playing 10% of the snaps or 70% of the snaps. It'll probably be one or the other. And as much as I like Rashad Perriman, and I do think he is the, the alpha receiver, quote-unquote, if that even counts in the New York Jets offense, um, Denzel Mims, I've used this argument for Michael Pittman Jr. He's in the situation that Terry McLaurin found himself in last year, which is that there's really no established pass catching options in his offense outside of like Le'Veon Bell. And uh, Terry McLaurin broke out because of it. And, and so did AJ Brown because of it. And so did even DK Metcalf behind uh, only Tyler Lockett. There was no other options there. So if I use it for guys I like, I, could pro I should probably use it for guys I don't like too. So, um, I, I like Mims more for dynasty. I just think he's going to struggle as a rookie, but you're right. It, the, the opportunity is definitely there and he could definitely break out as a result of that. Yeah. I just like, I mean, 14th round, once I saw that and then I just, I clearly in dynasty, I prefer him, but as, as a last round guy, there's a lot of upside there. And like you said, I think, I mean, within the first week, maybe two weeks tops, we're going to know if you want to keep the guy or not. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so on to the bust candidates. And uh, this division definitely had quite a few of these as well uh, to choose from. And I'm not usually one who picks quarterback bust candidates, but this is one of the only like maybe three or four quarterbacks that I'm like legitimately just off of this year. And Cam Newton is the guy I'm talking about. My concern with Cam is not an issue of the situation. I think he's in a great system. Josh McDaniels is still there. He has decent weapons if Nikhil Harry can take a step forward and all that. But uh, Cam has only played 16 of the last 32 games, dealing with a midfoot sprain. He's in his early 30s. He, he underwent surgery uh, on his shoulder two years ago. And uh, via sports injury predictor, Cam Newton has the second highest possibility to, of injury among all starting quarterbacks at 45%. And to me, there's just no reason to take the risk on him. Like, he's a high-end QB2 in drafts. So it's not like he's a, a 15th round pick that you're taking a dart throw on. He's still like an 11th, 10th round pick that you have to spend decent capital on and to me at the quarterback position if this was any other position obviously 10th round isn't a big deal but at the quarterback position the risk outweighs the reward 
Uh, like his rushing upside started to deteriorate as he got um, injured and older. So I don't think he's the same, even 2016 version of Cam Newton that we saw a couple of years ago. Like at a deep position like quarterback, I would just much rather wait five rounds or the rest of the draft and not pick a quarterback at all and get guys like Gardner Minshew or Jared Goff around the range he's going or Joe Burrow potentially undrafted. Big Ben, where, where about where he's going. Drew Locke later. Teddy Bridgewater probably undrafted. Like I just much rather have guys like this as opposed to spend a 10th, 11th round pick on Cam Newton. Potentially even more. If you play in a home league, I'd imagine Cam Newton might get reached on too. Yeah, he's got some name cachet for sure. Uh, once again, yeah, he's going kind of that top quarterback two range, like you said. So I'm just not going to end up on him much. Really, a lot of people have very strong takes about Cam Newton, and I don't have a ton of a take on him. I feel like the last couple of years have just been so, like, I don't know. I've just kind of blocked him out of my mind because he hasn't really applied much to fantasy. And so I think I'm just kind of rolling in with that this year, even though he's, like, he's on the Patriots. There's kind of a lot going on there, but I'm with you. Like, I, I, don't, I, just, I don't really care. I don't think he's going to be the quarterback one again. I don't think he's going to run for a bunch of touchdowns. So I just, yeah, I'm kind of out. Yeah. And like, it's not like he's one of only like seven quarterbacks in the entire NFL that have like top five upside. Like there's probably like 15 to 20 fantasy quarterbacks that you could say have top 20 or like top five upside. Like it's not some like magical thing that only Cam Newton has like guys that I mentioned, like Gardner Minshew, Joe Burrow, Big Ben, like these guys have top, like maybe not top five upside, but definitely top 12 upside. And you're getting them way later. Yeah, 100%. And as we've kind of discussed many times, going quarterback later on is going to be my move and your move, you know, almost always, except for maybe in a home league. So, you know, we just don't look at guys like Cam Newton. Uh, Another guy that I'm definitely not going to look at, and I feel like anyone who's watching this should also avoid, is Devin Singletary. Um, In my opinion, anytime that you've got an unathletic, one-dimensional, undersized running back, uh, you just want to avoid that guy, especially when he's being overdrafted. Uh, he has no real like special traits other than maybe you can say he's kind of agile, but not really. I mean, we'll see. He doesn't really catch passes that well. Uh, he's also on a team that, yes, they got rid of Frank Gore, and that kind of got people excited this offseason. Well, they brought in someone even better. It's kind of like the new rookie version of Frank Gore, Sack Moss, you know, like a big 220-pound guy, not super athletic, but reliable great on the goal line. He actually, in my opinion, is a better receiver than Devin Singletary. And to wrap all this up even more so, so if Devin Singletary is only going to get the touches really between the 20s, like I'm never going to want that guy. But even if, okay, so even if they decide they're going to use him more towards the goal line, which the coach has already said, Zach Moss is going to be that guy. Josh Allen is going to be the guy scoring the touchdowns almost always. When it came to touches within the five-yard line, Josh Allen had 11. The closest person to him was Frank Gore with five. So when they're in close, Josh Allen's the one running it in. It's not going to be Devin Singletary. There is no upside there. I just don't see – I don't really see the appeal of him in general. I, I don't – I just don't see it. I don't see how anyone – I don't know. Give me your case for him because I just – I don't think he's good. Yeah, and I don't think he's like some – crazy world beater that has this crazy upside but I I do think he's a little better than than obviously that you do um my question I want to see if you can get this who is the young running back in the league that everyone is touting him right now just for volume like who's the volume guy in the mid rounds running back he's a young running Mm. back and everyone likes him just because of volume ah geez on the spot I don't know if I'm gonna be able to think of this (laughs) uh I mean 
I'm thinking Buccaneers, but that's not it. So no, okay. So David Montgomery is the guy that is the volume oh. guy, right? I don't hear him get touted. So I no, I I've heard a couple people be like, he's going to get 250 carries and probably 40 receptions. It's like okay, maybe, but mm. Devin Singletary's role when he played in uh, more than 60 percent of the snaps and was not coming off an injury, so that was 10 games in his rookie season. He had 138 carries, which was 14, like almost 14 a game. 41 targets, which was over four targets a game which equated to 18 opportunities per game. Well, David Montgomery, excluding week one when Mike Davis was the starter, so I didn't even include that game, in the 15 games that he played, uh, he had 236 carries, which was 15.7 per game, 34 targets, which was uh, 2.27 per game, and he had the equivalent 18 opportunities per game. So my thing with Devin Singletary is 18 opportunities a game is plenty like for Devin Singletary, and that's a lot left over for Zach Moss. And I, de- I definitely agree with you that his upside is 100% capped by the fact that he's probably not going to score that many touchdowns unless they're, like, big, unpredictable plays that we don't really like to, tr- like, chase in fantasy because you don't really know when they're coming. But I do think he's going to be involved in the receiving game. You, you obviously are higher on Zach Moss as a receiver than I was, but I don't think Zach Moss is anything special as a receiver. I don't think he's bad at it, but I don't think he's, like, electric in any way. I think Singletary is not necessarily electric as a receiver, but I think he is – competent and he could improve in his second year yeah I don't know I really just think that because he is like 200 pounds or sub 200 pounds I think he gets credit for being able to catch the ball more than he actually can I don't I mean the numbers like in college and just last year I just I don't know I don't I don't see him being electric with the ball Josh Allen doesn't even check down that often either which is another that issue is he's gonna the four targets yeah. a game is the thing that's like whether he's good at it's it good. or not four targets a game is a decent good. for a running back it's good yeah that is good if he can get that I just I don't think he's gonna get it I don't <laughs> No, and he's he's not someone I find myself ending up with a lot if he falls to like the sixth seventh round I'll pick him there but I mean where he goes is usually like late fourth early fifth round I'm probably out on him on that uh, yeah so yeah <laughs> if he's in the range of guys no. like James White and stuff I would definitely pick him over over James White but like that's about it um yeah speaking of uh speaking of the Patriots uh uh, Julian Edelman is my value um because it actually disgusts me how late this guy is going like like I don't even know why he's going this late he's like my wide receiver 17 like I have him so high compared to consensus and only Michael Thomas Julio Jones and Allen Robinson had more targets in 2019 than Julian Edelman did just because Tom Brady's gone does not mean this offense still doesn't run through Julian Edelman and James White in the short game. The whole offense is designed to go through Edelman and White. Like Brady was not the reason that Edelman was good in that system. Sure, he probably helped because they had a great connection and all that stuff, but the offense, the play calling, Josh McDaniels, the way he likes to run things, it still is going to go through Edelman. 154 targets last year was more than DeAndre Hopkins got. 15 of his 100 catches, 100 catches were in the red zone. Without Gronk, who's still not there, they still have like a couple young tight ends, but none of them are probably going to make a huge impact the rookie season. He was the main target in the red zone. And like I said, 100 catches. If you play in any kind of PPR league, his wide receiver 32 ADP is absolutely disgraceful. Like, I, I can't believe he's going that late. I know it's like the reaction is is so weird amongst the fantasy industry because people are like, well, Brady's done. And then he leaves New England and suddenly Julian Edelman's value is gone. I thought Brady was done. Like, shouldn't his value go up? Like, I, I, I just don't understand the hypocrisy from that perspective. But um, we've seen Cam target his slot man heavily as well. 
Uh, DJ Moore in the two games, I know it's a two-game sample size that Cam Newton played in 2019. He had 24 targets in those two games. So, and DJ Moore towards the back half of his rookie season was also heavily targeted. So we've definitely seen Cam be able to utilize a slot receiver like, like DJ Moore and, and Julian Edelman are. Yeah, I love Julian Edelman. I think it's – I don't know if maybe more dynasty players are playing redraft or more redraft players are playing dynasty. I don't – I just – I feel like people are – like guys like Julian Edelman just get forgotten a lot and they just kind of get written off. Like they're not going to – they're not going to produce. And he is very clearly – I really like Nikhil Harry. I'm going to talk about Harry later. But it really comes down to James White and Julian Edelman are the only proven assets there. Like, Mohamed Sanu sucks. Like, I, I don't like Mohamed Sanu. I don't think he's going to do anything. So those two are the proven assets. And then Harry is the upside piece. So it's like, if Harry doesn't hit, Edelman's ceiling goes that much higher. Even if Harry does hit, Edelman's still going to be the stable slot guy. But, yeah, Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, they're going to get him the ball. They're going to rely on him. I think they're going to get real creative with their offense this, this month too, or this year as well. So I'm, I'm getting really excited uh, about Julian Edelman. Yeah. The weird thing to me is the fact that Tyler Boyd's going ahead of him. Like I like Tyler Boyd, but he's basically Julian Edelman life. Like I don't like, I don't, Yeah, they're the same type of player. It's not like there's some like mystical upside about Tyler Boyd, like a guy like Hollywood Brown, who's going ahead of Julian Edelman, which I still probably wouldn't, even though I love Hollywood Brown, I wouldn't take him mm. over Julian Edelman. Um, but at mm. least with Marquise Brown, you're like, oh, he has great upside. He plays for the Ravens and like all that stuff. Like Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, T.Y. Hilton, like no way I would pick these guys over Julian Edelman. They're all going ahead of him right now. Yeah, I, uh, I think Hollywood would be tough. I probably, if, if gun to my head, I'd probably take Hollywood over Edelman, but it would be a battle. All those other guys, it's not even close. Edelman all over all of them. Uh, yeah, I think that's an inefficiency that all of our viewers should definitely exploit. Get more Edelman. I think Jarvis Landry out this is going year. right after him as well. And I think they're both criminally underrated, right? Or like undervalued right now. Yeah, I'm in on both those guys. Yeah. Uh, another guy that I'm in on is uh, someone with huge upside, as much upside as Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson himself. Uh, his upside is unlimited. Uh, that's Preston Williams. Twelfth uh, round ADP for this guy at wide receiver 55. I was actually blown away when I saw that. I thought just because, like, the Twitter hype on Preston Williams is pretty high, I thought for sure he'd be higher than the twelfth round. We've looked at the Miami schedule, and, yes, the pass schedule is really difficult, but what we also kind of discovered is that a lot of the reason it's difficult is because they're facing shadow corners, especially early on, and those shadow corners are going to cover Devontae Parker. That's just – going to be how it is so on the other end as long as Preston Williams is healthy he's going to have a lot of field to work with and I I mean especially early on I could see Preston Williams dominating uh last year through eight weeks he was their leading receiver in targets yards and receptions yeah he had 38 catches for 428 yards three touchdowns as a rookie you know through eight games like it's very impressive and he was undrafted like no one expected this guy to really do much last year and he came in and, and was crushing with Ryan Fitzpatrick and whatever else they wanted to put back there. So with Tua and all of the offensive line upgrades that I'm going to kind of get into later and the money that they've spent, I just I think Preston Williams has huge upside at his uh, current ADP. Yeah, I, I definitely like the talent of Preston Williams. I don't think you can go wrong betting on young, talented players, whether they – especially at 12th round. That, that actually surprises me as well because I, I swear he seems like he's going in the range of Darius Slayton and – Deontay Johnson, like the ninth round, but yeah, 12th round is pretty crazy. Um, my only hesitancy, and I'm going to get into this with my next point on Mike Gusecki, who's my potential league winner, is that 
the the Twitter doctors, like the people who are, are fantasy doctors and stuff, have done studies on players coming off of uh, ACL tears of their first year, and usually they underperform. So that makes me a little nervous for Preston Williams. Obviously, we saw Cooper Cup kind of buck that trend last year um, before he um, got hurt again, but he was really he was doing really well before that, and um, that's just one thing that makes me a little nervous about Preston Williams, especially considering he did suffer it later in the season. But mm-hmm. I definitely – I love his upside regardless. And especially because, as you mentioned, Parker is going to have some tough shadow corners to start the season. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I agree with everything you just said. I have some concerns as well. For me, like, it's, it's – this is the value, so it really does come down to the price. I could just – I think that he's worth more than the 12th-round pick, and I think his upside is much higher. I think just looking at how he led the team in targets, receptions, yards, all that stuff when he was playing – that kind of shows the potential alpha dog that he could be, especially with a better quarterback like Tua. Yeah, he could be what everyone wanted Antonio Callaway to be. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> all right, so as I mentioned it before, uh, my potential league winner is Mike Gusecki, and I know what you're thinking. Like, how can a tight end be a league winner? Trust me, tight ends can be league winners. I'm going to put this tweet on the screen <laughs> that yeah. I tweeted out in, uh, in May, and it was the percentage of, play- uh, of tight ends on playoff rosters. And I took 2018 and 2019's like breakout tight ends as the sample. So the top three uh, or top four tight ends on playoff rosters in 2018 were George Kittle, who was a breakout that year. He was not like an established name yet. Ebron, who was a breakout that year, who was not established yet. Travis Kelsey, who's, I mean, Travis Kelsey, he's just, he's awesome. And then Jared Cook, who also had a great year in Oakland that year. So the three of the top four tight ends, uh, in terms of who was on playoff rosters were like late round tight ends that broke out. So that proves how much or how valuable like spotting a breakout tight end can be. And in 2019, more recent last year, first was Darren Waller on the list. He was basically undrafted. You got him for free. Spotting a breakout tight end is crucial. Number two was Travis Kelsey again, cause he's a stud. Uh, Mark Andrews, number three, another breakout tight end that you had to spot Austin Hooper. Number four, another breakout tight end that you had to spot hitting on tight end. Uh, sorry, hitting on breakout tight ends is a huge advantage in your fantasy draft. Mike Gusecki has this kind of upside. I've mentioned this with John Smith, with Hayden Hurst, with other guys, Mike Gusecki's right in that bucket with them. Both Albert Wilson and, and Alan Hearns opted out of the 2020 season. And this is important for Gusecki, especially because they vacated 76 slot targets from 2019. Gusecki was very productive out of the slot and he had a 35% slot share in 2019. And for him, the biggest knocks I've seen on him, a lot of the analytics people don't like him because he didn't have great target separation and he wasn't great after the catch or whatever. Well, either way, man, if he gets volume, he's going to be good. And as it stands right now, with what I believe, as I mentioned with Preston Williams, if he struggles at all or if he's on the pup or anything, like Gusecki could be the number two target in that offense. And I expect him to throw the ball quite a bit still. Um, Devontae Parker, and again, you mentioned this already. Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, both of them are in for a difficult schedule in 2020 with five of their first six matchups being against great defenses and great corners, especially. So it could be Gusecki season in the slot for mismatches. And let's not forget what Fitzmagic did with OJ Howard. Those couple weeks he started in Tampa, he loves his big athletic tight ends and he can definitely use a guy like Mike Gusecki. Yeah. I love Mike Gusecki this year specifically. He's kind of been one of those guys, like the efficiency is concerning, but if you kind of look at his overall profile, I mean, great, great draft cap, capital, freakish, like the most freaky athletic. Evan Ingram wasn't white efficient dude. his rookie year either. Yeah, yeah, inefficient. Um, Gusecki, I mean, to be fair, it's been a couple of years of inefficiency, but he has good draft capital. 
year three is usually the year for guys like tight ends and wide receivers and stuff. We've gotten impatient because we've seen a lot of people break out early, but Gusecki's profile is awesome. And like you said, the slot guys, they're out this year pretty much. Like it's going to be someone like Isaiah Ford potentially stepping into the slot, like Mac Hollins, we'll kind of see. So really I think that's Gusecki's role to fill in. And uh, the next guy that I'm going to talk about. But, yes, I've got Kasicki all over my dynasty rosters, just like I talked about last week in Johnny Smith. I think tight ends are the move in the way to get the lead winner. For sure. Uh, okay, so my guy then is another Dolphin. We're just going to hit all the Dolphins in a row, I guess. And wow. I guess that means that we like the Dolphins' offense. I'm going with Matt Breida. So I was pretty blown away when I saw that he's going um, – his average draft position is in round nine at running back 40. Uh, Jordan Howard, we're going to disagree a little bit on this one, but I think Jordan Howard is shit. He's a one-dimensional runner that – I mean, he had a little bit of success with the Bears a long time ago, and since then I just – I don't see the appeal of having a one-dimensional grinder. Uh, Matt Breida is a little bit undersized, but he's athletic. And every time he got touches in San Francisco, all he did was produce weight. He's very efficient. He catches the ball. He's super slick. And if that, like, literally the only thing I'm concerned with him is his potential for injury. Uh, Matt Breida gets nicked up a lot and he sits out a lot of games. But when he's healthy, I mean, the dude, he, he just, he just balls. This past off season, the Dolphins spent $237 million. So the tank is over. They're ready to try and win some games. So they got Tua. They picked up Eric Flowers and Ted Carras, which is the center and left guard, and they're going to be their starters. They also dra drafted Eric Hunt uh, in like with a 39th pick, and that's going to be a starter. They got Austin Jackson in the first round, another potential starter. They went all in on their line. They've got the potential quarterback, and Fitzmagic's an exciting fantasy quarterback either way. They've got these receivers that we're excited about, like I love the acquisition of Matt Breida. I think it was a great move for their general manager to get him for cheap. That's how I would acquire running backs is guys like Matt Breida. So I, I just, I think uh, I, I love him at his price. Yeah. And I'm not going to disagree with you that Matt Breida definitely has more upside of the two running backs in the backfield. But my issue with Matt Breida is that we always get excited about him and he just gets injured. Like he, he that's kind of why I target Jordan Howard in, in like best ball drafts is because I think he's going to be, yes, he's going to be like touchdown dependent, probably Jordan Howard. But I think Matt Breida is probably only going to play like 12 games this year. And Jordan Howard is going to play all 16 because he always plays all 16 and he's going to average 4.5 yards per carry because he always averages 4.5 yards per carry. So he's not sexy, but I, I do think he's still a competent running back and he probably caps Breida's ceiling a little bit just because we saw what he did to Miles Sanders last year. And I think he's probably going to do the same thing to Brita. So I don't anticipate Brita ever getting like a bell cow role. I don't think he should either. Cause I don't think he'll hold up, but um, yeah, I think if they use Brita correctly, if they use him as like a receiving back instead of like fucking Kalen Balazs, like they tried to do last year, then he could definitely be Man. productive in that role. I, I saw Kalen Balazs yard per carry. I know yard per carry doesn't matter, but 1.8. Yeah, I mean, Ronald the Jones guy... yards per carry was worse his rookie year. Just saying. It just, but Kalen, I fuck, he's so bad. All right, that's. I just needed to say that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty much good on Breida. I just, I love Matt Breida as a player, so I'm partially biased. But I do like his draft position, and I, I, I think the upside is is exciting with the, the Dolphins yeah. in general. His ADP, like, I'm kind of surprised no one's on. Like, no one really talks about him. I know he's on the Dolphins, but like, you'd you'd figure someone would like be like, hey, look at the like opportunity in front of him, and look at the explosiveness of the player, like. No one has really I've been talked tweeting. about Matt Breida this year. I don't, I'm kind of surprised by that. 
Another guy, in my opinion, that absolutely no one is talking about, despite how good he is, is Stephon Diggs. And he's my first bounce, or he's my bounce back candidate. And I know he wasn't necessarily bad, but he was kind of bad if you owned him. You probably didn't like owning Stephon Diggs last year because you probably spent a third or a fourth round pick on him. And you had to see him get six or less targets in over half the games he played. I know Josh Allen isn't the best deep passer in the world. I understand that. But he did rank top 10 in deep attempts. And he took a big jump in terms of accuracy from year one to year two. And maybe he can do the same thing in year three. I also think they traded a first for Stephon Diggs for a reason. They could use him in the ways that the elite receivers around the league are used. If they use him the way that Devontae Adams is used, the way that Michael Thomas is used, the way that Allen Robinson is used. He could be heavily targeted, unlike he's ever been in Minnesota. He's never been used in the slot in, in Minnesota because Adam Thielen's been there. So they could move him around and get him mismatches and use him in the slot. They could use him more in the red zone, which he had a 10.9% red zone share in 2019. He was not used in the red zone, despite the fact that he's an elite separator. And that's usually the type of players, along with like big guys, that get targets in the red zone. So I tweeted this out shortly before we started recording. But receivers who saw more targets in 2019 than Stephon Diggs. This is a fun game. D.D. Westbrook had six more targets than Stephon Diggs. What the fuck? Curtis Samuel had 11 more targets than Stephon Diggs. Danny Amendola had um, four, three more targets than Stephon Diggs. Larry Fitzgerald, as much as I love Larry Fitzgerald, had 14 more targets than Stephon Diggs in 2019. Despite this, and all these guys finished as wide receiver 36 or worse, Despite this, Diggs finished as wide receiver 21. He's going to see more than 94 targets this year. I promise you that. While Buffalo is not the most pass-happy offense in the league, they still passed 47 more times at 513 on the year than Minnesota did, who passed 466 times. And on top of that, the Bills targeted their receivers at a 66% rate, which was fourth highest in the NFL, and Minnesota only targeted receivers at a 47-point uh, 47% rate, which was fourth lowest in the NFL. I don't see any way that Diggs doesn't see more than like 115, 120 targets in 2020. Yeah, I love that call. Love that analysis. It was good, uh, good info on the targets as well. In general, Stephon Diggs is just a player I love. Uh, I kind of think of him Plus he's super similar good. to – Yeah, exactly. Like he's, I think of him similar to Russell Wilson. Like Russell Wilson is, is like potentially one of the – he's a top two, top three quarterback in the league but he's never unlocked, like just loud to throw the ball a bunch and run the offense. I've kind of felt like that's how Steph Diggs is. Like, I really think he's one of the top five receivers in the league as far as talent goes, but he has never been unlocked as far as like actually getting him the ball, targeting him a lot and letting him kind of like do his thing, opening him up in the slot going like, I just, I don't feel like the Vikings ever really used him. I don't think his potential has been realized. So the Bills gave up a lot. Didn't they give up two firsts? I don't think it was just one. I'm pretty sure uh, they no, gave up two firsts first, and a third. I believe they gave up a first and then like a third, a fifth, and a seventh or something. Like they gave up pretty significant mm. draft capital to get, which was their biggest need. Everyone pretty much knew that they needed a receiver. And Diggs, I think they did the smart thing by getting a veteran and not drafting a guy. And yeah, like you said, Diggs has never been unlocked. Like I don't think anyone's talking about Stephon Diggs because – I love him. As soon as he went to the Bills, everyone was like, well, he's a deep threat and Josh Allen can't throw deep. Two and two together. Like, but what if he's not just a deep threat in this offense? Like, what if they use him the way Devontae Adams is used? Well, it's so funny that if people are saying that, I haven't even realized people are saying that. But last year when Josh, John Brown signed, everyone was like, oh, this is a perfect fit with Josh Allen because he throws deep. So that makes no fucking sense. 
uh, people are tripping. Like, even if Stephon Diggs is targeted a lot deep, like, at least Josh Allen's going to put the ball there. Like, Diggs is such a talented wide receiver that even if, like, Josh Allen, if he just puts it up, Diggs will go get it. And I, I really like your point about him being in the slot. I think they're going to use him there a lot this year. I think he's going to be multidimensional. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I like Stephon Diggs, man. Yeah, I'm like, after doing this, I might raise him in my rankings. Like, because I honestly, like, I didn't realize how little he was used, especially in those areas. Like, he was never used in the slot. He's never been used in the red zone, even though I kind of associate him as, like, kind of a red zone receiver for some reason. But mm-hmm. I was shocked why he was not used in the red zone. I'm like, that could change. Like, they don't have, um, like, a tight – like, they have Dawson Knox, but they don't have, like, a big-bodied, like, tight end or, like, a big red zone threat. Like, their two other no. receivers are small as hell. Like, they could use someone like Diggs in the red zone. And, man, like, he, he could have the upside that, that people, like, want to mm. proclaim, like, some of these other guys to have, like DK Metcalf, who I love. But, like, we haven't seen it yet, obviously. Like, we've seen Diggs be a top-ten receiver before on like 140 targets like he could have that kind of volume except like more valuable targets than just like deep balls from Kirk Cousins hmm. that's a really good call man yeah I like it all I uh I'm, I'm I always have liked Stephon Diggs but I'm more excited about him now uh, another guy this is going to be like a guy a little lower on the rung than Stephon Diggs but just someone who I really believe will bounce back because I love him so much and that's Nikhil Harry uh, so the Patriots offense is concerning now with Cam Newton and just kind of all of the shifts that are kind of going on and his rookie year. I mean, it would be ridiculous to say it wasn't concerning, you know, up until he didn't really play at all until week 12. And when he did, it was like, he, he'd get targeted like a couple times a game. Uh, it was, it was sad coming into the league though. We have to remember who Nikhil Harry was. There's a reason why he went in the first round. He was by far my number one wide receiver last year in dynasty bulletproof prospect profile break he broke out as a freshman like he was the ultimate Debbie guy he had over a thousand yards or almost a thousand yards as a freshman 18 year breakout age crushed every year at Arizona State literally like all Nikhil Harry did was put up like highlight contested catches he dominated the whole time so coming into the league we had high hopes I had high hopes I've got him on several dynasty teams because if Josh J- Jacobs wasn't there and Miles Sanders wasn't there, I was going to go Nikhil Harry every time. And I got him in a few leagues. So going into this year, I, I just, I hope that we see a change. Maybe last year he got injured kind of early. So he just didn't work as hard as he should have. Uh, maybe the Tom Brady not liking him similar to how Aaron Rodgers is with his wide receivers affected things. I think there was a lot that kind of played into it with like bad blood between Tom Brady and Belichick and all this other shit kind of going into it. So fresh start, he's clearly got the talent and, uh, yeah, he's going in the 11th round, which kind of surprised me. It was above Preston Williams, but, uh, he's for sure going to supplant in my opinion, Muhammad Sanu. So it's basically it's Edelman, it's James White, and it's potentially Harry. And uh, I think Harry, I mean, he's got the profile of an alpha X, like dominant number one wide receiver, uh, if he can put it all together. Yeah, you. I know the analytics crowd especially was very, very high on Nikhil Harry. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked Nikhil Harry, but in terms of like, I'm more of a tape guy when it comes to watching receiver prospects and stuff like that. So I wasn't as high on his tape as other guys in that class, but I did still like him as a player. And Man, like, he's got the opportunity to do what DJ Chark did last year. That's basically all I can say about him. Like, I'm not going to say he's this year's DJ Chark because I don't think what DJ Chark did last year is common and is going to happen every year. Like, I think it's probably a once-in-every-couple-year thing that that happens. 
But Nikhil Harry has the opportunity in front of him. As you mentioned, it's just Julian Edelman and James White there. Like, they threw the ball over 615 times last year in, in New England. Like, if they throw that again, like, what you give 150 to Edelman, you give 100 to James White. That's still, like, 350 pass attempts to go around. Like, who else is going to get them? Nobody. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Sonny Michelle doesn't catch passes. It's James White. I mean, Damon Harris, we hope he breaks out. Yeah. The tight end, what, they got some rookies pretty much. I mean, yeah. they, they got to pass the ball to somebody. Uh, yeah. Even if he's a tertiary target, I think he could still, like, get 110, 120 targets. Like, I don't know if he'd get much more than that. He'd probably have to really break out from, like, a like a overall talent, like, perspective. Like, he'd probably just have to dominate people to, to command a kind of target share like that. But I, I do think he has pretty tremendous upside. I'm not going to lie. I, I think he could be, like, a league-winning type receiver, like, I, like Cortland Sutton, potentially. Because Cortland Sutton and him are very similar as prospects, in my opinion. I think they win in similar ways. So I, I could definitely see Harry um, breaking out and, and establishing himself in New England's offense. 100%. All right. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. So uh, make that's sure you it. guys, uh, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you guys like the video. Uh, comment down below any of your superlatives for the AFC East, anything fantasy related, anything non-fantasy related. All, all helps us out SEO-wise regardless. So if you guys are, if this is your first video that you're watching, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon. We post videos pretty much every day. Uh, also check the description. We have a draft guide, which will be as of today will be $3 instead of $5. So we're going to knock two bucks off of a Starbucks coffee and turn it into, I don't know, what's another coffee shop other than Tim Hortons. Starbucks drip coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm Canadian. So I would say Tim Hortons, but I don't know if anyone else has Tim Hortons where they are. So it's a Tim Hortons coffee. So three bucks, like you can't beat that. There's, there's rankings, there's busts, there's sleepers, there's uh, data analysis, there's team previews, all that stuff is in there. And make sure you guys also join the discord as well with the season approaching. If you're new to fantasy, you want advice of other experienced fantasy players. It's the best place you can get it. Hell yeah, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, looking forward to uh, continue to do the podcast, man. I like it a lot. The season's getting closer and uh, DFS season is on the way. And uh, the FanDuel prices just dropped, so I'm, uh, I'm getting really excited. I've been playing a lot of NBA DFS, getting ready, getting back into the mode. And, uh, yeah, we're going to win some bucks this year. So Yeah, I saw um, uh, Deshaun Jackson's completely undervalued for week one. Do they not know that Deshaun Jackson goes off in week one every single year? Like, Dude, and he has the, the narrative behind him of everyone's pissed at him. Like, he's got to show out to prove his worth. Like, yeah, and he plays the team, the only team in the NFL that doesn't have a name right now. And they also don't have yep. a good corner on their team either. So Yeah, they just and suck they, balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is a long-ass outro. Peace out, guys. Enjoy yeah. Monday.